Okay, so we are now at week 10 of God has a plan for every part of your life. This week we're going to look at the covenant and evangelism. We're almost done. Can you believe it? We've got three more weeks left. We have um, the church, the means of grace, and one thing that's escaped my mind now. That's bad. And what? Worship. Thank you. Yes. So, um, I want you to notice that we are moving, you know, continually in a trajectory. We started with our foundation of what the covenants are and how to think covenantally. And then we started to think in our most immediate sphere, that is the family, with uh, marriage and um, the family. And then we moved out to work. And now we're going to move to evangelism before we start to deal with the church and worship. Can anybody understand why we're going to go in that trajectory? See, I think sometimes our mentality is we need to get the church so that we can do evangelism. No. We need to have evangelism so we can have the church. One of my favorite quotes of all times is from John Piper, and he says, Missions exists because worship does not. And so we need to think about this. Now, if what we have been talking about in terms of how God relates to us and how we become right with God and the covenant that the Trinity has formed to redeem a people, if all of that is true, then we must apply that in our evangelism. Otherwise, we're fooling people, right? I don't know about you, how many of you have ever experienced bait and switch? Oh, you go in and the mattress is on sale and it's, oh, it's an incredible sale and you can, you gotta get in there now and you walk in and the first thing the guy says, oh, you don't want that mattress. You want this other mattress. Oh, you don't want that car. No, we just put that in the paper. You want this other car. One of the things that we need to be challenged with as a church is that we do not bait and switch people. If you want to be friends with people, be friends with them. Don't be fake friends so you can give them a Bible verse. Give them a Bible verse, but be friends with them. Be real friends. Okay? If you want to describe to them what the gospel is, don't truncate it, sugarcoat it, so that when they wake up, they go, wait a minute, I didn't know that this was what I was supposed to believe. Okay? So, we're going to look now at how the covenant affects our evangelism. But where are we going to begin? That's exactly right. And we're going to Begin at 3 a.m. What are our elements of a covenant? Loudly. Those are the elements of a covenant. Now, there is a reason why I've been drilling this into you. But it's especially clear now. If these are the elements of a covenant, and God is in covenant with us to save us, then we need to find a way in a non-artificial fashion to explain this to people. Now, when you're giving the gospel to somebody, you don't need to say, now, please sit down. Let me tell you what a covenant is, and let me tell you what the elements of a covenant are. I know them so well. The pastor called me at 3.15 in the morning, and I gave it to him. No. But what you can say is, you have to understand here, there's more than you. God's involved. 
that God expects certain things of you. It's a condition. And if that condition is met, you can have the promise of the blessing. And if you don't, there's a curse waiting you. We looked at our covenants and how God relates to mankind. So in the covenant of works, who were our parties? Louder. No, the covenant of works. God and Adam. Adam represents what? All mankind. What was the condition? Perfect obedience. Perfect personal obedience. What was the promise? Eternal life. What is the penalty? Why is it important for us to understand this? Why is it critical to understand this with the gospel? Is this good news? No, it is not. It is not good news. Why do you need to know this if the gospel is good news? You have to understand the context for the gospel. You've got to have the bad news before you can get the good news. Right? You have to understand that. So this is, again, a way as we think about this in our evangelism, there's got to be a way as you talk to other people about Jesus that you describe how God created man and how man failed to obey and how there was a punishment. And it's easy to see, right? How do we know God keeps His covenant? Every time a hearse goes by, you see God keeping His covenant. Death. Okay? We have to lay that out for people. Then we have a covenant of grace. And in the covenant of grace, the parties are God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ as our representative. You see the parallel, right? God and Adam for everyone. God and Jesus for everyone. There is an intentional parallel. We saw what the promises were. That God would be a God to His people. That He would give His people a new heart. That He would forgive their sins and make them holy. And there is a condition. And that condition is faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we have talked about this before. But what we're going to look at this morning is how to covenantally describe this and how to help people because most people have a conundrum. They think about faith in Christ and yet people talk about grace and it's not of works and they say, well, I've got to do something. How is that grace? We have the answer to that, don't we? Yes, we do. The covenant of grace is one covenant. It is the same in the Old and the New Testament. So, that means the whole Bible is wide open to you. You don't need to only look at a couple of passages. Now, why do I say this? I think it is a very good thing for us to memorize certain passages in John or in Romans to be able to share the gospel to people. But you also have to understand that there's about 6, 12 verses, chapters that people use all the time. And so people kind of become immune to them. There's a good uh, story. One uh, time, years ago, I was um, staying with a friend in Buffalo, New York. And um, I had the day off and I was sitting and studying, uh, reading a systematic theology book. And the Jehovah's Witnesses came and knocked on the door. And they wanted to come and talk to me about uh, their Jehovah's Witness beliefs. 
And they know, you know, you, you go to John 1, they're all over John 1, right? They know that. It's a wrong translation, yada, yada, all this other stuff. Well, I said, well, have you ever considered Malachi 3? What? I had just been reading on the deity of Christ in systematic theology. Have you ever, have you considered this passage in Isaiah? Well, what about, what about this passage in Genesis? And it gets people to look at the Bible in a fresh way. So we need to think about this and not just rely on a crutch. Because when we rely on a crutch, people think they are being tooled. They think that you have a sales pitch and you just want to get through the sales pitch. And who likes a sales pitch? How many of you have ever gone to these, you just sit through one seminar and you get a free something or other? Oh, my they want to sell you knives. They want to sell you condos, right? And, and about partway through, you're rolling your eyes and you're saying to yourself, if I pretend to go to the bathroom, can I get out of here? If, if there's a noise, can I make a dash for the door, right? That's how people can act with our evangelism. If they think it's programmatic and we're just trying to make a sale. So what essentially happens in the covenant of grace? We've been talking about this. What essentially happens is God accounts or credits the righteousness of Christ to the believer. If you picture kind of a big cosmic balance sheet, Frank, right, where you take from one and you move it over to the other column, right, and then everything balances out, that's what you're doing. It's an accounting. It is a moving. And we are credited Jesus' righteousness. That righteousness is two things. It is Jesus fulfilling the law for us by the life He lived, obeying the law, and paying the penalty for our disobedience. So He pays the curse and He meets the condition. Right? The covenant of grace is Jesus fulfilling the covenant. So, quick question. Are you saved by works? What? Yes, you are. You are saved by works. Just not yours. Jesus's. Right? It's an important distinction. God is righteous when He acquits His people because of what Jesus has done. Right? And that covenant of grace is God picking us up from out under Adam and death and sin and misery and moving us under Christ with righteousness and grace. Everybody got that so far? Everybody agree so far? Because it'd be good if we agreed on what we're going to tell people before we talk about how we can tell people. All right? That would be good. All right, everybody's with me. All right. I think I need more. I, I need some, where's Daryl? I need some more amen corner in here. Give me some amen. All right. All right. So, if we think about God's relationships, under the covenant of works, there is Adam. It is do this and live. And all mankind are outside of Christ. That is the covenant of works. In the covenant of grace, you have Christ. And the just shall live by faith. And that is, the elect are in that covenant of grace. How do we know who the elect are? We don't, but how do we know that man? How do we know who manifests themselves as elect? They're believers. Right? So should we be focusing our effort in trying to find out who's elect? Should we be focusing our effort to find out who's going to believe? Yes. 
We should be pointing toward belief, not toward election. That's reformed, people. Okay? It doesn't mean election's not important. It's critically important. We understand it's all of God. He does all the work. But we don't spend time trying to figure out who's elect. We bring the gospel, and if people believe, then they are elect. If they pretend to believe, they are not, and God knows it. And it's not my problem. It's their problem and God's problem. Right? That makes our life a lot easier. Alright. So, if our relationship with God is covenantal, it has to be, right? There's no Switzerland. I don't know every one of you all here. I can tell you right now, every single one of you is either in Adam or in Christ. There is no other place. One or the other. Okay? So if that's the case, then we need to think about salvation covenantally. Okay? And if our relationship is covenantal, then salvation is covenantal. Now what does that mean? That means that God created man. God entered into the covenant with man. This is that first covenant, that covenant of works. Did man choose to be created? Did God set the did man set the terms of the covenant? No. Who's in charge here? That's the first point for us to think about. That's a big hurdle. Because you know what? Everybody else thinks they're in charge. You want to know what else? Everybody else has this little voice in the back of their head that says, I'm not in charge. And you know when they listen, you know when it gets louder? Tax time. Trouble at work time. Getting in the hospital time. My kids getting married time. Going off to school time. Whenever the world is bigger than we can handle, which is a lot of the time, that is a time for us to come right in and say, you know what, you're not in control. There's a reason why you have these difficulties. You're not in charge of the world. Guess what? You're not God. Get used to it. Okay? And so that gives us an immediate opening to start talking about the covenantal nature of salvation. Man broke that covenant of works, right? And now, here's a key point. Man is incapable of keeping the covenant of works. So, how many of you remember, I don't even know if kids do this anymore, play like uh, wiffle ball or stick ball in a, in a big driveway or in a park or something. You know, now I think kids do it on video games. But you remember you'd play and you'd say, you know, the trash can is first base and, you know, the manhole cover is second and the big oak tree is third. And if it hits the limb of the big oak tree, what do we call Not home run. Do over, right? Do over. Because it's not fair for it to fall and I can't get, you know, I can't see the ball, which direction it's coming. It's not fair for me to catch it if the, if I hit a, a home run and the tree knocks it down. So we declare do over. <clears throat> Adam doesn't have a do over. Adam did, was not able to say to God, you know, listen, I realize I should have done better, but just give me another shot, God. When he broke the covenant of works, the covenant of works was broken and it could not be fixed. We are now incapable of keeping that covenant of works. By his fall, man was made incapable of life by this covenant. Now, this is an important thing. 
Because most people in the world today think if they just try a little bit harder and apply themselves a little bit more and get some better resources, they can do it. Most people will acknowledge to you that they don't have it all together, they're a little bit um, on the fritz, and they're not what they should be, they're not doing what they should do, they're not the kind of people they want to be. But they will say, but I got a New Year's resolution. But I can turn it around. This is like, you know, somebody going on their 156th diet. They think, well, I didn't do it last time because I was on the all-fish diet. Now, when I'm on the all-chicken diet, then I'll get it. Right? And they just keep trying different things. And this is what people do in life. They pour themselves into work and think that will give them meaning and be better. Pour themselves into their kids. That will give them meaning and they will be better. Pour themselves into church and think that will make them better. In reality, we are incapable of keeping this covenant of works. This is a black and white. The good news of the gospel is that God provided redemption by a second covenant, a covenant of grace. God entered into a covenant of grace to do what? To deliver them out of the estate of sin and misery and bring them into an estate of salvation by a Redeemer. What does that mean? That means there is no hope for us to keep the covenant of works. When there is no hope of doing something, what should you do? You should stop. Right? You know what they say that insanity, one of the definitions of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result? We need to stop trying to keep the covenant of works. Our only hope is to be transferred out from Adam and in to Christ. And God has provided that. All of this is consistent with what we've been talking about covenantally, right? This is the gospel. The condition of that covenant is faith. A saving faith. What do we mean by saving faith? Right? And what would that faith consist of? How is that different from somebody who just says, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus? That's a trust... It's a reliance, it's an understanding of the facts, it's an agreement with the facts, and it is a trust upon the facts. I can give you the fancy Latin terms, which I would love, and you would not, so I will, hold, I will refrain. But it is understanding, agreeing and acknowledging, and trusting. That is what saving faith is. That is a condition. So unless that condition is met, do we get the promise? If the condition is not met, what do we get? The curse. Confession says this, that God freely offers sinners life and salvation by Jesus Christ, requiring of them faith in Him that they may be saved. So, I have given you Bible. I've talked about the covenant. I have quoted the confession, have I not? That sounds pretty reformed to me, right? Don't let anyone ever tell you that being reformed does not emphasize a personal exercise of faith in Christ. 
It absolutely does. And if you do not emphasize that and do not emphasize closing with Christ, you are not reformed, you are not biblical, you do not have a gospel. Okay? Thank you. It's good amens. I like that. Now, what does this sound like? This personal exercise of faith. I just went on a rant telling you that was reformed. And you say to me, wait a minute. We, we're reformed. God's in charge of everything. God's sovereign. God has His elect. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. You're going to quote me the Lazarus story. And you're right. How do we reconcile this? How could we possibly reconcile being dead in our trespasses and sins without hope, without a new heart, and we have to have faith and exercise faith? How do we recognize? How do we reconcile it? Asymmetrical cynicism. The Starbucks word. Now, class, we got some new people here. Describe what is asymmetrical synergism. That's this is your fancy Starbucks word for the day. When you're at Starbucks, someone's got a venti latte, and they're saying, "Well, you know, I think that the uh, the Platonic view of them." He said, "Listen." Asymmetrical synergism, trust me. What is asymmetrical synergism? We need faith. God gives us the faith. Therefore, we believe. What it means is, it's God and we working together, but God does all the work. It's kind of like being a parent. Yeah. It's doing all, yeah, you're right, yeah. That's what it is. God working through us. You must exercise faith. Where do you get the faith? God. You must believe with a new heart. Where do you get the new heart? Okay. So it's God working through us. So you can see here, we can biblically stand and tell people, you must repent. You must believe. And when they say, I can't do that, you say, good news. You're right. You can't. Pray that God would give you repentance. Pray that God would give you faith. He will answer that prayer. That's what you do. Because remember, it's not just faith generically. It is a specific condition that we must have faith in an object. This is another thing that we need to deal with people on. It is... Faith does not save. Okay? I'm going to break the news to you. Faith does not save. Jesus saves. It is faith in the object. Sincerity is not the test. Right? I could sincerely believe that if I go up there by Ben and stand up on that sound booth and jump that I will fly across the room. And do you know what's going to happen? I'm going to break my neck. The fact that I sincerely believe it does not make it so. I know Hollywood wants you to think otherwise. You know, you watch these movies, and I just saw this, some animated movie, and the animated, it was a, the Lego movie. And one of the little Lego girls says to the Lego guy, you can do everything. Why? Because I believe in you. What? No. No. Let's be in reality here. Sincerity of belief does not get the job done. Celeste.
I think if someone says something like that, I tried and it didn't work, you have to find a good way to say, you really didn't try it. Or maybe you were misinformed. Or maybe you don't understand. You know, we do this all the time. I try and do, you know, we have, an example. How many of us have done something, worked on a computer program, puttered around the house, where it's something where you do it about once every five, six months, and then you forget how you did it? That happens all the time. Every time I ask Randy Prescott to fix the phones, he says, well, all right, well, i got to sit down and i got to remember how to do it. And he says, I haven't done it in about a year. Okay. And he, he figures it out, but that first little bit. So, you know, sometimes we don't get it. We, don't, we, we need to persist in things. And just because it's faith and just because it's free doesn't mean that salvation is easy. Giving up sin is not easy. Right? If I tell you that you need to believe in Jesus and repent of your sins, I am not under a false impression that you all could just go, you know what? That's right. I'll give up all my sins right this second. No. It's a struggle, isn't it? So it's difficult. Steve. Right. And what did you try? Yeah. I mean, I think you need to drill down in that. That's exactly right. Yes, Arnaldo. Yes. Well, remember that regeneration comes first. Dead men can't believe. And the Bible gives us wonderful images of that. Lazarus, um, the, the Valley of Dry Bones. There, there is an image here that we are not capable, we just don't need a little bit of help. We need to be made alive. Okay, let's keep going. This is good. So, God provides faith to those who are in the covenant of grace. Our confession says that He promises to give to all those that are ordained to life His Holy Spirit. What do we call that first phrase? Nope, that first phrase. Ordained to life. That would be the doctrine of? Or election. Predestination or election. Now, see how that works with faith. Everyone that is elect... God promises according to what promise? His covenant, the covenant of grace, to make them willing and able to believe. Everyone that God has in covenant with Himself in that covenant of grace, God will bring about the faith and the change. That's your asymmetrical synergism. Now, why is this important? Why is it so important to understand we must act and we can only act after God has acted, after God has made us alive, after God has chosen us, after God has come into relationship with us? How is this related to the gospel? Does it really make a difference for our evangelism as we understand this kind of covenantal thinking? Here's the... 
$50 question. Isn't evangelism a lot simpler than this? What we have to think about is, is that the gospel is covenantal. Our relationships with God are covenantal, and therefore the gospel and the way we bring the gospel is covenantal. Because salvation is covenantal, the gospel or the good news must be covenantal. Remember our quote from week one. Covenant theology is not just about the continuity between the Old and New Testaments. Covenant theology is the gospel. It is our relationship with God. You remember the whole story of the Bible is a... Remember how we talked about the unity of the Bible and the theme of the Bible? And that theme was what? God's grace and God's covenant. And we saw it in how we are all called to that grace through God's covenant. So the gospel is covenantal. Only a covenantal view of salvation properly shows the role of the Trinity in salvation. We have the Father with His eternal covenantal love in sending His Son for a sacrifice. We have the Son covenantally, unreservedly sacrificing Himself. And we have the Spirit covenantally applying the purpose of the Father and the work of the Son. Why would the Trinity all work together in this? We had a covenant of works. And we had a covenant of grace. How many aspects to the covenant of grace were there? Two. One in time and one when. And eternity passed. An agreement by and among the Trinity that the Father would send the Son and the Son would do the work and the Spirit would apply it to people. This is a covenantal way of thinking. You can't have salvation without all of the members of the Trinity. David. Well, think about it more basically. Only the covenantal view of salvation properly shows the role of all of the Trinity. So, for example, in many churches, the Holy Spirit is an add-on. Okay? It's just about Jesus. And after salvation, and after we've made maybe even a second work of salvation to make us better Christians, then the Holy Spirit comes in and gives us gifts. No. Holy Spirit's involved in salvation. Some of our views focus on Jesus and not on the Father. We think somehow the Father is the bad guy in the equation, and Jesus has to somehow fix the Father. Right? And so, only by thinking in terms of a covenant do we understand the agreement among the Trinity that they are all involved. And anytime, here's a newsflash, anytime anything really important in the Bible happens, you see all members of the Trinity. Creation, salvation, even the baptism of Jesus this morning. Right? You see all the members of the Trinity. Only a covenantal view of salvation explains man's need of grace because he is a lost covenant breaker. He's not neutral. He's guilty. Most people think they're neutral. 
They think if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, I'm okay. No. You've already broke the contract. You've already violated the agreement. You're already due the penalty and the curse. Only a covenantal view of salvation explains the source of grace. It's not some sort of vague thing out there. It's not amorphous. It's the work of Jesus in space and time applied to us. Only a covenantal view of salvation explains what the means of grace are. How, How is God's covenant administered? The atonement is covenantal. Only a covenantal view of the atonement properly shows us that it was first designed by the eternal love of God. The atonement of Jesus Christ was not plan B. It was not God scrambling to catch up with Adam's mistake. Why? Because it was a part of God's covenant of grace, the covenant of redemption, in eternity past, an agreement between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to redeem a people and to glorify God in that. Only a covenantal view of the atonement properly shows us that it was the willing work of the Son. There is a sense in which we can look at Jesus and we're glad that He did what He did. But somehow we think He had to have His arm twisted. That's how we read Gethsemane, right? That God had to twist Jesus' arm. If we understand the covenantal view we understand that before the incarnation ever happened, Jesus said, I will go, I will do, I will get the people. Only a covenantal view helps us to see that. Only a covenantal view of the atonement properly shows us that it is accomplished by uniting the believer with Christ. And what that means is this. If I can use... Um, a bad analogy. The sales pitch line in the gospel is forgiveness of sins, right? That's not the main part of the gospel. There's so much more. Because a covenantal view tells us that we get the forgiveness of sins by being not in Adam and united with Adam, but by being what? United with Christ. So if I'm united with Christ, do I get forgiveness of sins? What else do I get? I get adoption. What else do I get? Eternal life. What else do I get? I get holiness, right? What else do I get? I get righteousness. What else do I get? Access to God. What else? I get everything that Jesus has. I get. Why? Because I'm in Jesus. Everything in Jesus is mine. So when we talk to people about the gospel and salvation, it's about so much more than a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's about being the kind of person, not that you want to be, but that God intended you to be. Now, that's so much bigger. We're walking around with a truncated gospel, flipping people a quarter when there's a million dollars in the bank. Right? And if we understand this view of thinking and our relationship with God and how we get that relationship by being in Christ, we start to delve into what that means to be in Christ. So does it really make a difference how we bring the gospel? 
Well, obviously, I think so. I've been talking about it. Evangelism is nothing more than telling others about God's way of salvation. That's what evangelism is. How do we know what God's way of salvation is? Well, we can only know salvation through what the Scriptures say about salvation. We dare not trust to our traditions or our methods, even if they work. Do you understand that? Even if they work, we dare not trust to them. We go to the Scriptures and we understand how God has designed His way of salvation. So what is the difference then? The difference is this. In a non-covenantal gospel, as it is presented for the most part in what's called an Arminian perspective, we don't begin with God. We begin with man and his need. We start by walking up to people and we say, Are you happy? No. Would you like to be happy? Are you depressed? Well, yeah. How'd you like to not be depressed? Do you feel fulfilled? No. How would you like to feel fulfilled? Right? We start with them because we think that's an easier hook. We can get at people right away and we can start and then we can give them a pill and the pill is Jesus and they'll feel better. Let me ask you this. If you're unhappy and you believe in Jesus, does your life immediately become happy? Do your kids all start obeying immediately? Do you get well immediately? Does Donald Trump come and hand you a $3 million check? So if, if someone says the gospel is, I'm not happy, if I believe in Jesus, I'll be happy, and I say I believe in Jesus, and I'm not happy, what do I conclude? It doesn't work. I tried that, and it doesn't work. That's probably what happened. I tried that, and it doesn't work. Why would I do that? That's exactly right. You see, this is the phrase. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Now, I hate to tell you this, but there are people out there that God has a wonderful plan for your life. It's called burning hell forever. I don't want to lead with that. I'm not sure what that is. God may have a wonderful plan for you in your life, and it may be that you are a child of God and that you suffer affliction all of your life. That may be His wonderful plan for you. And He will glorify Himself in it, and you will count it all joy to suffer for the sake of Christ. Right? I mean, this is not exactly the pamphlet I want to hand out in the Sudan or in China. You know, a friend of mine said, if we really understood what was going on in the world today, that there are places right now where churches are being burned and Christians are being murdered and children are being sold into slavery, we would not be so quick to be worried about whether someone looked at us rudely in church or whether someone appreciated the clothes that we wore. Maybe we're a little bit critical. We don't understand how someone could be so unchristian as to be uncritical or critical of our clothing. You see, the gospel is not an American gospel. We don't bring people to Jesus by making them Americans. And quite frankly, folks, we are the exception to the rule. The fact that we live in a nation where we have freedom and we have access and we have Bibles and we don't have to worry about somebody coming in right now and shooting us, we are the exception to the rule. That doesn't happen in Africa, does it? No. They worry about people coming in and shooting them even when they don't. 
So we need to think about this and understand this. And when we start focusing on the person, we, we lead with their needs and God becomes a tool and a crutch to solve their problems. And it's not based in reality. A non-covenantal gospel presents it from the perspective of we don't talk about the law of God. Grace is good. Law is bad. Don't turn men off by talking about the law. Don't tell people that they've sinned. Don't tell people that they're wretched sinners. Right? Because people don't like to hear about sin. This is not just out there. When I was back, when I was in Ohio and was an elder, I had a meeting with a member of our congregation who was concerned about the pastor because she said the pastor preached too much about sin. It was, quote, too much Good Friday, not enough Easter Sunday. What? Can you have Easter Sunday without Good Friday? Now, you can't just be on Good Friday. Don't get me wrong. You can't. But, but you see, this is where we think that we have to help people to make the sales pitch, right? You want people to buy your phone? It should be something they should be able to pick up and use without an instruction manual, right? Drives me insane. You can't get an instruction manual to anything, right? We think you want someone to come back to your restaurant? You need to go over the top. You need to meet every need, meet every opportunity. That's not how the gospel works. Faith is something in a non-covenantal gospel that man must do as a result of his own will. You hear phrases like this, God has done his part, now you must do your part. Or you hear this one, God's voted for you, the devil's voted against you, you need to cast the deciding vote. Seriously? I'm dead in my trespasses and sins. I'm Lazarus in the grave clothes. I stinketh. What are you talking about? (laughs) Repentance is seen as not being necessary for salvation. But the Bible talks about repentance. What do I do? Ooh, I make it the first class of airplane. You can be a Christian and you can sit back in coach and you won't get good food and armrest will be in your way. But... If you do the extra special things, you get moved up to the Holy Spirit's first class. Ooh, when they give you a towel to put on your face so you're refreshed. And you get food and drink. And you're a special Christian, right? This is the theology that's out there in the world because they can't do away with repentance, but they don't want repentance to be a part of the gospel because they don't want to make it at all difficult for anyone to understand the gospel. And so we set up this kind of second work. And we set up a second class of Christians called carnal Christians. And we allow you to be a Christian and live life in sin. And we say, well, he made a decision for Jesus. Yeah, but he left his wife. Well, but he made a decision for Jesus. Yeah, but he stole from the bank. No, but he made a decision for Jesus. But he lied to me. No, he made a decision for Jesus. No, he didn't. Words came out of his mouth. He didn't make a decision for Jesus. You see? So, we want to avoid this and go with a simple, straightforward gospel. In a non-covenantal gospel, man is saved by accepting Christ as his personal Savior and asking Jesus into his heart. Where do these phrases occur in the Bible? They don't. 
Okay? In a non-covenantal gospel, the individual is always the focus. We don't talk about the church. We don't talk about the covenant community. All we focus on is what Jesus can do for me. And that's a short shrift of the gospel. Because the gospel is about being taken from death to life and being brought into a family and being conformed into the image of Jesus and being glorified forever in a sinless state with Jesus and His people. And dining at the banquet hall of, of the bride. I mean, this is, why would you just want to have a get out of hell free card? Why would you sell that to somebody? You see, only by focusing, starting the focus on God do we get there. Now, the question is, is it really that easy? Do I need to be a theologian to evangelize? Isn't the gospel only really telling men they are sinners and asking them to confess their sins and ask for forgiveness? Is it really that easy? Is it? Yes. Yes. You don't need to have a theological degree. You don't need to have memorized a third of the Bible. You don't need to know everything. You need to have the basics down and be able to, the more you talk to people, have stories and passages in the Bible that you can go to. So when you say to someone, you do realize it's not all about you, that God created the world. Well, what do you mean? Well, let's look here in Genesis 1. And you know who God was creating the world here? That was Jesus. Let's look here at John 1. And you know, all mankind has sinned. Even the best of us. Look. Adam sinned in the garden. Look at Abraham, what a bum he was. Look at Moses. Look at how horrible he was. Look at... Is there hope? How is there hope? Well, let's see. Jesus brought a dead man to life. Let's look at Lazarus. Let's look at the story. See, that's what you need to do. You need to have pegs in your thoughts that you can hang Bible verses, Bible stories, and your structure on. That God is the creator of the world. That God is in relationship with His people. He formed a covenant of works. That man in Adam failed and was kicked out of the garden and was lost and was dead in his trespasses and sins. Genesis 6, Jeremiah 17. And then as a result of that, the only hope is that we could get new life. Ezekiel 36, Isaiah 55, John 3. And when we get new life, we are able to believe and we become alive. Lazarus, come forth and that we become a part of Jesus. We are out of Adam and in Christ, John 15. And when that happens, we believe wholeheartedly and we put our faith and trust in Him and that changes us forever. Book of Acts. Right? This is the way we must begin and move. The difference is The true promise of salvation is not health. It is not wealth. It is not happiness. It is even not freedom from the penalty of sin. What is the true promise then? What is the true promise of salvation? It's the same from Genesis to Revelation, from Adam to this very day. I will be their God. And they will be my people. Everything is bound up into that promise. Remember we saw it all throughout the Bible? 
That's why we need forgiveness of sins. That's why we're adopted. That's why we persevere. That's why we are glorified. That's why God makes a covenant with us. That's why God brings us in. I will be a God to them. And they will be my people. Every promise is wrapped up in that promise. Everything. That is what we are, you'll excuse the word, selling. We are giving, heralding, a relationship with God that is eternal. And the only way you can get there is through Jesus. So you've got to tell people about Jesus. But the end is not just forgiveness of sins. The end is not health. It is not wealth. It is not happiness. It is not purpose and meaning. The end is to be God's and to have God. That is the end of all of this. The biblical ground of salvation then is union with Christ, being in covenant with Christ. And only by being united with Christ as our covenantal head can we escape the wrath of God. Through our union with Christ, we have communion with God. What does that mean? Can you pray to God? How do you pray to God? Through Jesus. You know what you call praying to God? Communion. You know what you call in the name of Jesus? Union. I just gave you an example to apply theology. You can't speak to God. God will not hear you except what? Through Jesus. If you want to be with God and you want to have communion with God, you must be united to Jesus. Union with Christ is covenantal. It is spiritual. It cannot happen outside of election. It is a work of the Spirit and it is vital. That means both important and life-giving. John 15. This union is effectuated by faith in Christ, repentance, and diligent use of the means that God has provided. It is a covenantal union. Saving faith continues. It is not a single act made by a single decision and then forgotten. That's how you know if someone is saved or not. First John 2. They went out from us and they were not of us. And it was evident they were not of us. Why? Because they went out from us. It is a continuation. Yes. That's right. John 15. You can only bear fruit in Christ. That's exactly right. Corey. They're either in sin. How about Christians who say they're Christians and treat other Christians badly? They're, they're either, they either have a root of bitterness or sin in them that needs to be sanctified. Now, not everyone that has sin is not a Christian. right? And some Christians have more serious sin than others to root out of their life. Um, and so what we need to be this covenantal gospel applies not just to the front door, but in the room too. Because as we see people operating that way, we say to them, you know, you have to bear fruit. You know, repentance is not a single act. You have to repent. Don't you want a close relationship with the Lord? You're united with Christ. Through Christ you can do all things. You can let go of this bitterness. You can let go of this, etc. So the gospel becomes more than just about me going out there and grabbing people to bring them in the door. It becomes about a way of life for all of us. Saving faith is not merely an external profession of faith. It involves an internal change of heart and an internal union with Christ. 
We will never declare a revival here and then declare how many people got saved. It's unbiblical. We will present the gospel. We will provide special opportunities to bring the gospel. But we will not count salvations by hands in the air. Right? That's a starting point. I'm thankful for hands in the air. Don't get me wrong. But that's a starting point. Frank. Yes, it is a change of life at heart. That's exactly right. Faith and repentance are involved. Repentance is the twin of faith. Saving faith includes repentance. God grants repentance just like He grants faith. Belief involves a change. Repenting is merely turning from sin and toward Christ. Yes. 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 That's right. That's correct. So even for example, let's take an extreme example. Let's say someone sins and they're excommunicated. We kick them out of the church. Do you know why we kick them out of the church? It is not so that we don't have to listen to them and put up with them. It's so we say to them, this is so serious, we don't think you're a Christian. You better examine your heart. And when you do, you come back and we would love to bring you back in. The excommunication is a severe warning exactly for that point. There is no end until dead. It is appointed to man once to die. And then what? The judgment. That's exactly the point. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Some important passages for study about repentance of the gospel. Again, I'll put this up on the website and you can get this. Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 20, Ezekiel 36. Acts chapter 8. The means of grace is that God's covenant with men is meant to be the means to obtaining the end, the end of obtaining life. God has provided not only the end, that is salvation, but the means. And the covenant is administered through the ordinary and outward means, especially the word, sacrament, and prayer. So, how do we use the covenant to call others to salvation? We use the outward means that God has decreed. We preach the word. We're in prayer for the lost. We use the church as the God-ordained vehicle for evangelism. Where does most evangelism happen in America today? I'm going to tell you, to our shame, it's not in the church. It's in parachurch organizations and ministries. You know why that is? Because the church isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing. It needs to be out, heralding. Because when people hear the gospel and repent and have faith and are saved, what should they then next do? They should come in the church. Why? So they can be built up and do what? Tell other people about the gospel. That's how we do it. A covenantal view of evangelism. How do we use the covenant to call others to salvation? We speak of a covenant God who always keeps His covenant. Every time you see a funeral, you see God keeping the covenant of works. You can speak in natural terms to people. You ever know anybody that didn't die? You ever know anybody that was really good and didn't die? No. Everybody dies, right? Something's in common here. We speak of the conditions that God has decreed. Saving faith is the condition, including repentance to life. Almost done, guys. 
We avoid the error of Arminianism. It's not half the work is God's and half the work is man's. It is rather that the saved are saved by covenantal union with Christ. We cannot remain independent and be in covenant with God. How can two walk together unless they are agreed? We also want to avoid the error of hyper-Calvinism. What is that? There is an outward as well as an inward call. There is a free offer. That is the administration of the covenant. Calvinists who believe in election should be the people who go out there most with the gospel. You've heard me use this before. How many of you know of a special fishing spot? Right? The fi- this is your spot, right? So you know the place. It's a good fishing hole spot. It's your spot, and you go, so that's where you fish. So if you know there's fish there, you don't fish there, right? You go someplace else where there's a challenge, right? What do you do with your fishing spot? You go there. Why do you go there? Because there's fish there. It's the same way with the gospel. We know God has his people. We know he's elected people. We know he's given them faith. We know he's in charge. Our job's easy. We just go. All right, next week, we're going to apply a covenantal way of thinking to the church. Here's your homework. Romans 11 and 1 John 1. Okay? Okay?